Heather, one of the youth services librarians here at Romaine, and today I am back with Eric, one of our adult services librarians, and Marta, our youth services manager. And we have another special treat for you today. Um, we decided to read yet another relic from our childhood teendom that was super popular for the sake of nostalgia. And this time we chose April Fools by Richie Tankersley Cusick. Did you guys ever read this book before? And if you did, what did you remember about it? I did not, which surprised me since I was such a big fan of this genre at the time. It was popular. And um, I was surprised that I hadn't. Um, but then when I read it, I feel like I have read it 20 times because it's very similar to many others from this time period. <laughs> Yes, I also had not. I'm coming to realize that as a child, I became hyper fixated on things. So for me, it was Christopher Pike or Bust, even to the exclusion of apparently R.L. Stein. The one that we read for this was my first R.L. Stein. Um, so this is something I really should have read back then because it was, as Marta said, very reminiscent of, I immediately thought of R.L. Stein with the, the driving scene that the book opens up, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, just teens not being able to drive. And, uh, but it is very much in the vein of Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein. So if you like them, I can't imagine that you wouldn't like this. I don't know if I read this one. The cover did look familiar to me, but it's like a classic 90s cover. So, and like you were saying, they're kind of all the same. So it's hard to say. Um, I don't think I had ever heard of Richie Tankersley Cusick, but again, I kind of recognize the cover vaguely. So Maybe I just thought it was R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike. Um, maybe I didn't even look at the name. Who knows? Yeah. And it had that classic like 80s slash 90s horror teen font with like the drippy letters in the bright color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the cover for a minute? Because there were two. Yes. And I think they're both great. Um, mm -hmm. The one that I had, <laughs> I had the ebook and it is just a doll's head. Like a doll's head with I think red blood red eyes maybe it's supposed to be covered in blood and like matted hair and it is super creepy I'm not a person who's afraid of dolls but I was not um I was enjoying slash not enjoying this cover because it was horrifying see I the I had the original cover which really it looks like there's an American girl doll popping in a mailbox because that's like it literally looks exactly like an American Girl doll. And what bothers me about not only the original cover and then the updated cover is that it's not completely accurate to the story because there is a doll in the story. And I believe the whole point is the face is mangled. And so the mm -hmm. continuity was bothersome to me. And I kept wondering the whole time, I'm like, because they don't get to the point where there's a doll even mentioned. So I just kept thinking like, what in the world is this all about? Like, why does it even have this cover? It was bothersome to me. Yeah, I really thought the the it was going to be about a haunted doll just looking at the cover. Or <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, yeah, you know, like Chucky, which exactly. is a fantastic movie. Well, I thought it was going to be hair. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and now I'm really understanding why so many of my friends in the 90s were so afraid of dolls. 
because I actually had like a couple that I had collected and if they would come over for a sleepover they'd be like can you please take the dolls out of the room and I'd be like yeah sure like what's wrong and they're like it's It's got its beady little eyes and it's looking at me (laughs) yeah you're like what's wrong and they're like we've been reading a lot of Richie Tankersley Cusick lately yeah (laughs) I don't know why it bothers me but it does okay just take it out of the room okay I will. It's all good, man. <laughs> it's not going to hurt you. <laughs> this or will time. it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so we had never heard of um, Richie Tankersley Cusick before. Um, at the end of the ebook, there was like a really long bio about her. It included all of these pictures and stuff. Um, so one of the cool things that I just read literally five minutes ago was her birthday. Um, she was born on April Fool's Day in um, 1952. So just dovetails so nicely into um, this title. Yeah, I feel like this shouldn't have been the seventh book in the series. She should have kicked it off with the book about her birthday, right? Yeah, I totally think so, too. And um, she was also born in New Orleans, which makes so much sense why she would be interested in the paranormal too. Mm-hmm. New Orleans is just like the coolest city. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I feel like more books should have just like a 20 page biography of the author after the book because I was really fascinated by reading this and seeing all the pictures. It was really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, especially since you can't, at least I couldn't really find a whole lot online about her. So I wish I had read the ebook because the good old print book did not include such in-depth information. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I found online that is very relevant to 80s and 90s kids is um, she wrote a few Buffy the Vampire Slayer novels um, as a tie-in to the show. And she's written 25 novels total. Makes so much sense. Yeah. Buffy tie-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that was like pretty much all I could find about her online. Like she she has a Twitter, but it's mostly just like retweets of like her books being on sale. So she's a bit of an enigma. Except just like in her the books. Yeah. <laughs> books. <laughs> okay. So I think Eric had previously mentioned um, this is part of a larger series called Point Horror, which was launched in 1991 by Scholastic Inc. Um, A lot of the titles were previously published, but um, it was written by multiple authors, including R.L. Stein, Christopher Pike, Diane Ho, of course, Richard Tankersley Cusick, and Caroline B. Cooney. Um, the first book in the series was Blind Date by R.L. Stein, and it also helped launch his career, which was really cool. I also had no idea that these books had any connection to each other whatsoever. I didn't either. Yeah. Yeah, so like speaking of all these authors, and um, the book Paperback Crush, The Totally Radical History of 80s and 90s Teen Fiction by Gabrielle Moss, Richard Tankers. Richie Tankersley Cusick um, actually had a quote about this. Um, Everybody jumped on the bandwagon once they realized how popular it was. So at one point it was just flooded. And I do think that for a while it kind of died out because I think that happens in publishing. You get a glut of a certain kind of book and then it's like overkill. And then it kind of goes away for a while. I can definitely see that. 
And it definitely always comes back to, which is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like one of the recent ones too, like just in teen literature was like fantasy dystopia. And for a while, mm-hmm. everybody was like obsessed with fantasy mm-hmm. dystopia. Yeah, so I mean, the whole thing just kind of reminds me of like the, um, the popular show Riverdale. Um, I can't remember what, I think it's probably on like the WB or something. If that's, if that's even not the WB, what am I trying to think of? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, to me, it's like the same kind of thing, like a bunch of teenagers with terrible accidents happening all the time, super dark and gloomy. Here is a fun fact from the Richie Tankersley, uh, extended biography. She went to Riverdale high school. No way. What? I swear That's to God. A real yeah. thing? That is you a real thing, apparently, in Louisiana wow. or wherever she ended up finishing her childhood. She That's was voted most funny. creative in the class of 1969 or 70 in Riverdale High School. That's, That's too amazing. funny. <laughs> I All love comes that. together, makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Everything is coming together. Full the circle. 90s. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Mm hmm. Yeah, so another interesting thing about the Point Horror series is, um, so it was published for a while, but then after eight years, Scholastic actually announced that they were going to release three new titles in May of 2013, with more to follow later in the year, which that's just so surprising to me, because that seems like quite a large gap, and like everybody in the 90s that would have read these were adults at that point, too. So I wonder, I wonder why... They made that decision, like with the, with the you know thought process was behind that. Yeah, they were really kind of ahead of their time because you would think maybe um, you know Stranger Things or something kicked off kind of this nostalgia wave. Mm-hmm. I feel like for things that were popular with kids, who, people who were kids in like the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. So they were like you know four or five years I think ahead of the curve. I feel like that would be tremendously popular if it came out now. I also found an article, it was from the Irish Times, um, and it spoke of the decline of the series. I was also surprised I found this in an Irish publication, um, but they, the author was speculating that the decline might have been caused simply because the characters were just um, rich, white, hetero, um, so it, they weren't like super inclusive, and just a lot of it a lot of the books were exactly the same. <laughs> you don't say. As we have learned, how crazy is that? Yeah. Similarities. Uh-uh. Yes. Yeah. And uh, many young readers had issues with the series because um, the female characters were viewed um, as the ones who were always upset, were getting killed, or were just getting dumped which was definitely a big thing like in this one as well. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I get that now as well, especially with like, I remember I was so uh, with like Twilight when it came out, I was like, oh, Ella, you're just so lame. Can't you just be tough? Can't we just have like a tough chick mm. who can handle things and not, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's I'm, something. I'm with that, I'm with that. Yeah. I, th- I think I've brought this up in, all of our other uh, heroin-based <laughs> books, but it rings true here too, is that like they all seem to be very passive protagonists. Yeah, They're just yes, kind yeah. of along for the ride and we're watching everything happen to them and around them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I picked up on the um, exact same thing as well. And um, the, uh, one of the other issues, like in addition to just being kind of passengers in their own life, being very passive, is there was just a real lack of real life issues, which could have been again, because a lot of the characters were incredibly privileged. They were kind of like creating their own problems and thinking they were like above the law and more important than other people mm -hmm. um, in so many situations, especially in this book. And I found it interesting in this book in, in particular, wasn't Belinda, was she the one that was like from a lower income family, like a, a working family and her friends were like wealthy? Yeah, she definitely mentioned a few times about how she was embarrassed compared to this other mm -hmm. rich family, but I don't remember much about um, Hildy <laughs> or yeah. Frank. Mm -hmm. but yeah. she definitely mentioned like but it also seemed like the other house was extremely extravagant and True. like a mansion yeah. so I don't know if she was just self-conscious <laughs> about her house or if she yeah. was actually like supposed to be poor yeah because it, it just paints people in such a one-dimensional like broad brush stroke like oh if if you're like a middle or lower income person like you're automatically like more caring you're automatically more like salt to the earth but if you're wealthy you're just like you know you're just privileged you don't understand anything and it's like mm -hmm. ah, I feel like readers probably wouldn't like that either because it's just you know people are made up of all different sorts of things and just because you're one thing Exactly. We are not 100% defined by our socioeconomic backgrounds indeed we're all complex characters yes not in this book, though. Unless <laughs> you're, yeah. No, not in most of these books. Yeah. Unless you live in Point, uh, I almost said Point Fear, Fear Street oh, or combo. Point Horror, then you're mm -hmm. extremely one dimensional. Maybe Point Horror does have a Point Fear somewhere. Mm -hmm. That would be cool. Where is, is Fear Street in Point Horror? Ooh. Oh, that's it. You yeah. know, is it? Okay. I wondered about that because. When I saw like that, all those original R.L. Stein books, like it threw me because I didn't realize that they weren't included in the Fear Street books. Like when I saw those covers, I was like, oh, so I now I, I want to go back and see if those ones do mention Fear Street at all. I can't imagine they don't, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm wondering about that too because I guess I just also assumed like with any teen novel R.L. Stein wrote, it was a Fear Street novel. So, yeah. mm -hmm. or is this the multiverse? Oh, maybe. Well, maybe. <laughs> well, all of these questions the, that you the original multiverse mind blown. Original. Marvel only wishes they could pull this off. It's true, it's where they got the idea, probably. Yeah, yeah. So, in addition to like just having really one dimensional characters, really passive females who are just here for the ride, not really mm -hmm. stuff is just happening to them, like they're not making things happen. Um, other really problematic elements included toxic masculinity, um, beauty mm -hmm. standards, and of course, this was like the biggest thing in the book, really negative depictions of mental health, um, insane and crazy were just thrown around in so many ways, particularly as it relates to gaslighting. Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. Um... 
nine pages of notes from my Kindle. And I originally started highlighting things because almost every other line in the first couple chapters is Hildy and Frank gaslighting the main character, Belinda, and telling her that she's crazy for being worried that they might have killed people. Like, it's no big deal. Why are you so fixated on this? I don't know. Vehicular homicide is like a pretty big deal. It's true. I literally wrote in my notes the line, you've been taking it all too seriously. Because that's literally what one of her friends told her. It's like, yeah, no, it's pretty serious stuff that you guys have been going through. But okay, okay. Yeah. It, it harkens back to New Year's Party by R.L. Stein, where they were concerned about like, oh, we'll lose our license if we tell somebody. Yeah. There, there's one line, actually, I have it highlighted. Um you know, Frank was drunk. He wasn't even supposed to be at that party. If Coach Jarvis found out Frank was there instead of at that special swim practice, I mean, Frank called in sick and lied to him. He could have been thrown off the team. And I'm like, okay, but you still killed someone. That's <laughs> yeah. a little more serious, not being on the swimming team or whatever. It's true. And it's like, it's almost like you can look at it as like, okay, that would be a valid teenage concern. I can see you being very wrapped up in all this. But I'd like to give teenagers a little bit more credit. I'd like to assume that in addition to being kicked off the team, they might have a moral struggle involved with killing someone. Or, you know, be worried about going to juvie or jail. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, (laughs) something. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I do think most teens possess a moral compass and would know (laughs) to to notify someone, even if they were going to get in trouble. I won't say all, but I'll yes. say most. <laughs> yeah. If anything, they're going to be more likely to accidentally give that information away. <laughs> Absolutely. So- <laughs> yes. All right. So the synopsis, as usual, was taken from Goodreads. Um, so are you ready? It's going to yes. blow your mind. <laughs> um, coming home from a forbidden April Fool's party, Belinda and her friends witness a horrible accident. When no one appears to have survived, the three friends vowed not to admit they were there. Then the sick pranks begin and Belinda must discover the truth to save their lives. Whoa. Wow. (laughs) Are you invested like already immediately? (laughs) I was invested by the cover, but also yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. So this is in Belinda's point of view, and Belinda is our main character. She and Hildy, who's her best friend, went to an April Fool's Day party and Frank drank a lot of beer. I also didn't know that people hosted April Fool's Day parties, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) They do have point horror books, yeah. 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 It's just a series of pranks gone wrong. This is the genesis of the entire point horror series takes place (laughs) in the, the days following this party. Yes. Belinda can't stop lamenting about what a poor decision going to this party was, and she was 100% correct. Um, Apparently, Frank appointed himself to be the king of fools, and that's where the trouble began. Frank, who was super drunk, a drunk teenager, decided he was going to drive the trio home, and because he was acting like an idiot and also drunk, of course he hit a car. The car he hit tumbled down a gorge and burst into flames. And in the distance, they saw someone watching the accident go down. Did they call the police? Probably not. Brilliant. 
And there was an old tech alert um, in just right from the get-go, right from the start, Laura wishes she and Hildy would have just stayed in and rented movies like they normally do instead of going to the party. Uh, I didn't catch that one, yeah. yeah. Remember Blockbuster? Yes, I loved it. R.I.P. Yeah, <laughs> so sad. Okay, so we'll jump into chapter one. Belinda cannot let the accident go, but Hildy urges her to forget about it because it was just an April Fool's Day prank and it was the other driver's fault anyway. What? They also didn't tell the cops because they'd get in trouble as Hildy was supposed to be grounded, Frank skipped out on an important swim meet and went to the party instead and Belinda was supposed to be house-sitting. Right, this is a great reason to not tell anybody what you did. Um, it totally justifies this tragedy. Um, and also Hillary, Hillary, <laughs> Hildy doesn't want to call it, gets upset about the fact that Belinda is having PTSD from the situation. I kept having flashbacks to New Year's party, but also I know what you did last summer. And yeah. I'm really not like the fact that Hildy is totally fine with this, with the string of events. Um, it seems like she doesn't have a conscience. Yeah, Hildy and Frank are totally those friends from Fear Street who are just like, yeah. you know, telling the main character that she's taking everything too seriously the whole time. And I think I have like a page and a half of highlights just from chapter one. Um, so it starts out on page 11 and like all of these are in about two or three pages. So for God's sake, it was a stupid joke. You know, Frank, it was April Fool's Day and he was the king of fools. He doesn't take anything seriously on normal days. She studied the other girl with an exasperated sigh. You're really being dramatic about this. Your mom's going to start asking dumb questions if you don't watch it. Uh, the second one. Oh, come on. We didn't make them miss the road. These people should have been watching where they were going. It's never been even been on the news. What are you so worried about? Um, you're acting like this is some huge tragedy or something. And it is a tragedy. I just keep feeling that somehow we'll be paid back for what we did. Foreshadowing. <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you we didn't do anything? And we stopped at the gas station, didn't we? Well, didn't we? <laughs> like, we tried to get help at a gas station. I guess that's enough. It's not our fault it was closed and the stupid payphone was broken. You're driving me nuts. There's the also the quote about Frank being drunk and Coach Jarvis in there. Um, I think that's all of the gaslighting, but it's just so much of them telling her it wasn't a big deal. We just ran a car off the road. This happens all the time. Why are you being such a stick in the mud? It's true. And here's a spoiler alert. I feel like Hildy and Frank, I was surprised they did not find this book because they seem like those like accessory characters that are just in the background whispering these awful things. And they, I feel like in today's day and age or in like a, you know, like kind of like scream type movie that they would have been off by then for sure. Yeah, they either would have been killed or would have been the ones like killing her or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, this book. <laughs> All this book. All right. So this is also the chapter. This was right off the bat too. Um, in chapter one, Belinda gets called to the office and she's sure it's because someone found out their secret, you know, which is fair. It's a reasonable ex like explanation. 
But as it turns out, it's just someone who wants to know if she'll tutor her stepson, Adam. He's been ill. And once more, I'm getting New Year's party vibes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Thorne, Adam's stepmom, says they're all injured from an auto accident that happened two weeks ago. <gasps> I wonder how this is going to tie in with our story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then speaking of the gas station and the payphone, that's a little tech alert. Um, yeah. That is. Yeah. I me and my friends, when we were in middle school, we used to like go up to 7-Eleven and use the payphone and call our friends collect and their um, moms would be really mad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like, are there even any payphones like around anymore? No, not really, which is unfortunate because I feel like every once in a while things happen. Cell phones get broken, something battery dies. Yeah, I don't feel like I've seen one in a long time. Maybe at like, I don't know, New York Penn Station or an airport mm-hmm. or something, they might have a, a hanger on from the olden days, but I, I can't imagine where else I would have seen one before. Yeah. And I feel like now because it's so infrequent, sometimes businesses do allow like people to use their phones to contact somebody Mm -hmm. if an emergency so which was not the case before Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean maybe if it was an emergency but it was usually like there's a payphone outside put your quarter in make a phone call yeah I guess before cell phones they probably had people asking to use their phones every five seconds yeah (laughs) (laughs) um all right chapter two Belinda tells Hildy about her assignment, and Hildy once more shows how unsympathetic she is, urging Belinda to take the job. Frank also thinks it's just a huge coincidence that these folks were in an accident two weeks ago, and Hildy says, if I were you, I would, and in her head, Belinda thinks, have a conscience, which that was hilarious. I just think it's so sad that she realizes really early on how terrible her friends are and still does yeah. like just puts up with it for the whole mm-hmm. book. I guess spoiler alert question mark. Yeah. But I can see that being a little true to teenage life though. You get wrapped up with those friends you've had yeah. forever. Like it actually kind of reminded me more of how many like friendships like you have in, in like elementary school and then they get blown up a little bit in middle school and the middle school ones get blown up a little bit in mm-hmm. high school. I kept waiting for them to finally part ways. Yeah, me too. And oh, well, that's a big spoiler too, but something does happen there for a little bit at least, um, but then it comes back, sadly. Um, so Hildy is also upset because Belinda told Mrs. Thorne she'd go with her after school to meet Adam but Hildy wants her to help her study instead. We also find out Belinda used to have a crush on Frank, but every guy in school always opts for Hildy. Man, Hildy and Frank are awful. And by the book's end, I hope Belinda finds some new friends. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> um, yeah. When Belinda arrives home, there are police officers there. They said someone called in a report of an accident and they needed to ensure it was a prank call. They ended up leaving and Belinda is completely freaked out. Yeah, her friends really are the worst. I'm not going to go ahead and read all my quotes again, but there is one where they're just so manipulative of uh, Belinda and they're talking about this math test. And Frank says, Frank took up the plea in earnest as 
Belinda disentangled herself. She'll flunk if you don't help her and it'll be on your conscience. That's terrible. And it's like, she doesn't have to help her study. And they even make a point of Belinda saying that Frank is really good at math and like the math honor society or something like that. Mm -hmm. And his excuse to not help his girlfriend study is, but that's all instinct. You can't teach genius like mine. And anyway, I do help her study. And, you know, then he focuses on her tight sweater. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, these are horrible people who are like, they are, they are my academic slave person. And also don't talk about the murder we committed. Yeah. I feel like this also just plays into like the trope of like, um, females are just kind of the passengers. They're just there to like comfort other people and like be a caregiver for other people. Even it's like, you know, Belinda isn't responsible for Hildy's grades. Hildy is responsible for Hildy's grades. It doesn't matter if Belinda has a life outside of Hildy. Like she should have a life outside of Hildy. And she was asked to do a really important like project. So yeah, go do your tutoring, man. Hildy is not your child. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's probably in the next chapter or two, but -hmm. there's even like a little callback to this after Hildy takes the test and it turns out she failed. And she's like, goes out of her way to say, don't worry, Belinda, it's not your fault I failed. And it's like, of course it isn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why on earth would it be her fault? It is not her fault. Ugh. Well, he's the worst. Anyway, chapter three. <laughs> um, Belinda sees her mom and she lets her know that Mrs. Thorne had called looking for her. Um, Mrs. Thorne eventually arrives to pick Belinda up to meet Adam, and it's obvious the family she married into is super wealthy, as she is driving a Mercedes and is flashing her diamonds at Belinda. Mrs. Thorne lets Belinda know she hates Adam, and she wishes her husband would have survived, and Adam was the one dying. (laughs) The people in this book are monsters. What an introduction. Like, yeah, when you I, introduce yourself to other people, it's like, I know I'm a sociopath, and here it all is. Yep. One thing I wrote down for this chapter is that line that Adam should be dying and not at her husband. Like, really? Okay, you're pretty blunt about your evil intentions and how crazy you are. So, okay, we, we know quickly what type of character you are. Yeah, like, you literally said that out loud to a complete stranger. <laughs> yes, to a child, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, the second yeah. time you're meeting this poor teenage girl, and you're just like, I wish my son was dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Can't wait to meet him. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Also, can we just talk about the fact that, like, this person picked her up, like, from her house, someone she had just met, and she got into the car with this person to go to a house of the person that she just met. (laughs) I picked up on that too, because it sounded like someone was trying to find out information about her and like learn about her. And actually when Mrs. Thorne asked for like her address, that was like red flag for me because I assumed that perhaps she was the one, you know, looking into her, she might've been the, 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 um, the villain here. So I was like, don't give out your address. Don't let her pick you up. Don't get in the car with her. What are you doing? Give <laughs> her Hildy's or Frank's address. We don't yeah, like exactly. them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And just the fact that she was like flaunting her wealth. Because like, I, you know, I know a lot of people who have like more money than I do. And they don't walk around like waving diamonds around or like, oh, look at me. I'm so expensive. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? 
yeah it but it's it's again it's just like the one-dimensional character is like clearly because she married into wealth she's extremely narcissistic she only cares about money she doesn't care about her stepson she doesn't even really care about her husband like it's just it's really sad these people are monsters yeah, chapter four, the intrigue continues. Um, Belinda finally meets Adam and he's generally just very surly. He hides in the shadows. And when he comes out to reveal himself at Belinda's request, she like passes out. Um, he was very injured in the accident and has deep cuts all over his face and uses a cane to walk. Adam is upset at Belinda's reaction and told her he warned her about his appearance. And she tries to say, she doesn't feel well because she hasn't eaten. She ends up leaving, searching for Mrs. Thorne so she can go home, and she sees boxes with blankets draped over them. She pauses to lift a blanket to see what's underneath, and a man reaches out to grab her hand, telling her she shouldn't do that. And in the other hand, he's holding a bloody meat cleaver. What? <laughs> that was my favorite, because I think the chapter ends right there, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a whole house of red flags. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. They should just paint the house red and put a giant red flag from like every point of the roof. Yep. And as you see, she just goes back and back and back to this house and drives me nuts every time. Yeah. Like, do you have no so sense of self preservation? Yeah. There's all? like mm-hmm. a creepy attic boy, boxes of what will be revealed to be snakes, a man with a bloody <laughs> yes. meat cleaver. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was also just in addition to just the incredibly offensive way like disability and like injury is presented here like oh she passed out due to his appearance like really come on like just damsel in distress but I was also getting like both Beauty and the Beast and Quasimodo vibes um from this like because I feel like that was the scene in Beauty and the Beast too where like he reveals himself to her for the first time and she's like just um terrified so definitely felt some Disney tie-ins here I had that thought there was going to be a love interest there Mm-hmm. I had that exact thought of Beauty and the Beast as I was reading it. Like, this guy is too cartoonishly evil to actually be the villain. There's exactly. no way There's no yep. way you put, like, a guy, a disfigured man up in a tower and actually have him be the evil person in one of these books. <laughs> yes. Same thing. Yep. Yep. Usually he's actually the hero of the story. And he really, you know, he does just need love and nobody gives him a chance. I guess nope, we'll see. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how this book ends. <laughs> um, chapter five. It turns out it's just Mr. Cobbs, an employee of the house, and the reason he doesn't want her to touch the crates is because there are huge snakes inside. A hobby of Mr. Thorne's, he says, because who doesn't, you know, just keep huge snakes in cages in a room? He also explains he was preparing dinner, which is why he's holding the cleaver. Not sure why he didn't just put it on the counter and approach her, but you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, he invites Belinda to the kitchen for tea and toast. And because she feels awkward eating and drinking alone, she invites Mr. Cobbs to sit with her. She asks about Mr. Thorne, who says that yes, indeed, he's in a coma and was badly burned. He isn't expected to survive his injuries. Mr. Cobbs is also from England. Um, Belinda discovers Noel. Noel, yeah, no, I almost said Noel because I know I'd say yeah. yeah. So Belinda discovers Noel is Adam's half brother. His mother is Mrs. Thorne. 
Belinda tells Cobb she'll take the job and ends up going home to meet Hildy and Frank. Frank wants to go to the movies and possibly a suicide drop, which sounds ominous and awful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it won't be important later. Yeah, Yeah, we find out that like lots of people lost their lives there. Um, In this chapter, there was just a lot of negative mental health talk to instances of calling someone crazy and insane, which is so gross, particularly because it is gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Um, They talk about Adam and Hildy is convinced that Adam could be the one for Belinda. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yep, yep. That's another weird thing that is like a running theme through all of these books is the character's obsession of being in high school and finding the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I do remember being a teenager and dating, you know, my high school girlfriend was obviously going to be the one I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Sure, mm-hmm. of course. But I don't remember that being like the central preoccupation of my life right. was like finding the one. Mm hmm. And they're so, they're always so boy crazy, especially that they're always like, you have to find the one. This guy could be the one. Yeah. Never mind that we're 15. It's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been looking at Tiger Beat all day. I need to find my tiger. <laughs> oh, Tiger Beat. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard a good Tiger Beat reference in a couple Oh, it was perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, so Belinda also says she doesn't like the house because it's scary and there are snakes. Belinda is informed there's a package that's been left for her on the porch and inside is a calendar with April 1st circled in blood. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> what could it mean? And also, again, like she expresses that she's afraid of this place. She, she doesn't like the whole situation and she just doesn't leave it she doesn't need to be a part of it she just chooses to she makes terrible choices Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (sighs) chapter six (laughs) i am exasperated um (laughs) hildy is convinced frank was behind sending the package but belinda doesn't think so she ends up walking to adam's house because why not and wanders through a park with abandoned amusement park rides girl haven't you read animorphs we That's exactly abandoned places. I, I literally <laughs> rolled my eyes and was like, here we go. There's an abandoned yep. lot, abandoned something. We got to cross where we want to get. But it's the shortcut. It's always the shortcut. I really thought that this would play more prominently in the book. Yeah. Like yeah. it's only like a scene or two, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the scenes was pretty major, though. I think I, I might be yeah. getting ahead and it might have been one. a different location. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think it is. Sorry. I'll let you get there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, oh, it's yeah. again. <laughs> so, um, oh, I actually wrote in my notes too, like, gosh. Anyway, <laughs> she puts her hand in her pocket and feels a cloth inside that she's sure she didn't put there. She remembers she wore the jacket the night of the accident, and the object is a handkerchief with the letter A embroidered on it. Is it Adam's? <laughs> Who could it be? Uh, there was one. Only... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Uh, just so, like to go back to the amusement park for a second. There was one heartbreaking line, which is like a real, um, I don't know what the word for it is, 
but it's like I guess kind of a classist or something thing where she's describing the park and she says with its picnic grounds its public gardens and small amusement park area it had been a frequent holiday treat when she was growing up when mom and dad were happy and they were a real family as if like you know you you have to have a mom and a dad to be like a real family there's no Mm -hmm. you know it's you're not a real family unless you have that like actual nuclear unit which is pretty uh you know the opposite of inclusive because a lot of kids do grow up without a mom and dad and like i don't know it just seems like really horrible to make that implication that you're not a real family yeah yeah and like just the fact that they're also having financial struggles which is often accurate like with yeah. divorce mm-hmm. too um but i have that same thought as well and i'm sure like many children of divorce do have that thought um yeah so. definitely yeah it's heartbreaking yeah <laughs> yeah so she um she finally arrives at the house and mrs thorne is lamenting about adam and having to take a business trip she reveals she married Adam's dad for money, and if she stayed with them both, she'd, quote, end up in a straight jacket. <laughs> really not a fan, again, about how mental illness is treated here. Anyway, um, Belinda ends up going to see Adam, who Cobbs is trying to coax to take pills, and then Belinda leaves abruptly when Adam says she's only there for pity and his mom didn't want to take care of him after the accident, which is why he was sent there. And she runs into someone on the porch. Who could it be? Mm. This chapter I wrote down too. I think it was during that exchange with Mrs. Thorne, how she told her to think twice before you marry for money. Like, okay, solid advice, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's the best advice she gave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) True. It's very true, Mrs. Thorne. Yeah. Probably think (laughs) twice before you marry for money. Mm-hmm. thank you for that life lesson yeah <laughs> the only life lesson in this book <laughs> um chapter seven so the person on the porch is adam's brother noel and his dog sasha also sasha is like the hero of this book for me i loved sasha well yeah i got so happy whenever she was in the book I yeah know. <laughs> yeah sasha and Cobbs were the mvp everybody else can just mm-hmm. like go um noel seems like a pleasant dude and is surprised adam is at the house he's also really excited to meet belinda his mom mrs thorne's demeanor changes completely upon his arrival and she turns into a doting mother noel kind of shrugs her off and offers belinda a ride home also giving Cobbs the rest of the night off adam watches from the window Noel tells Belinda he doesn't know Adam well as their parents had only been married for three years, but he's always been a loner. He offers to give Belinda a ride back to the house if she decided to tutor again, and she declines but starts daydreaming about what it would be like to be Noel's girlfriend in this (laughs) five-minute interaction that they've had. (laughs) Maybe he's the one. He's, yes, exactly. Yep. So they get home and she reached into the mailbox and feels something oozing. It's a doll head covered in blood, which matches the book cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except the face wasn't as mangled as it was supposed to be. No. Yeah. Think talk about it being like scarred up the very I'm being upset about continuity from a cover. Yeah. Don't mind me. 
<laughs> and also like what if her mom would have been like the first one to arrive home like when they're trying to keep this a secret or did they like know her schedule to know that she would be the one that because like I would imagine they probably left fingerprints and stuff too and clearly Belinda's not smart enough to call mm-hmm. the police to deal with this but her mom would have yeah I <laughs> totally missed that there were also entrails in the mailbox when I read it and I was like why is she grossed out by a doll's head and I think I even wrote in our little google doc like she they they talk about it smelling like it had been dead for weeks and then she just pulls out a doll head and I was so confused and then I realized it was my fault for missing the nest of entrails that it was sitting in right because why wouldn't you do something that disgusting and I feel like that also adds to like the psychopathic nature of the person who pulled this prank because I know like oftentimes when someone um is dealing with like a psychopathic personality they harm animals so Mm -hmm. it's like did he harm an animal like in order to get these entrails I'm assuming like probably so yeah so gross it's like one of the signs of a serial killer is torturing animals as a Mm -hmm. child well, yeah. I'm trying to remember though. It wasn't one of the the uh, villains that actually did that. That was it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up later because I don't remember. Um, should we talk about this spoiler? Because I don't remember what chapter it happens in. Yeah, we can talk about it now. Yeah, when it's revealed that Frank was actually doing some of the things, like he's the one who put the calendar there for sure, and I thought yeah. he was the one who did the doll's head. Exactly. But I can't yeah. remember. I can't either. Yeah, because Frank was doing some of this stuff that was driving Belinda crazy, which is also crazy because there are several times where he's still telling her to calm down. And why are you still talking about this incident? But then also like trolling her about it. And it's well, of course, why are you mad that she keeps bringing it up when you keep also like feeding those flames? Right. So I think Frank's probably said that too. I really. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, he's definitely he, like, a narcissist and possibly yes. a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Sociopath is the word I was trying to think of. Thank you, Eric. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was also an old tech alert in this chapter. Um, the author refers to Noel's tape deck while the duel gets mm-hmm. into the car. He needs to have tape decks. Now sometimes cars don't even have like a CD player anymore. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's so weird. So weird to me. Because I, I just like lease my cars too. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, this current lease I have, like it doesn't have a CD player in it anymore. Yeah, I, I think like, my oh, last two cars have not had a CD player because I lease as well. Yeah. I miss it. Yeah. Just like knowing it was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, chapter eight. Belinda questions Hildy and Frank about the mailbox surprise and they both deny leaving it. Frank thinks Belinda is paranoid, and when he leaves, Hildy finally says he can be a jerk sometimes after Belinda asks her to stop defending his poor behavior. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, they switch gears to talking about Noel, and then it flashes to Belinda going back to Adams, determined to help. You can't save him, fam. Like, just abort mission. Um, Cobbs refers to Mrs. Thorne as Attila the Hun, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said also- working for Attila the Hun would be better than working for her. Yes. <laughs> so good. Like, he just low-key shreds everyone in this book with yes. that like British, uh, like that distinguished gentleman British way where yes. it's just so 
deadpan. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just dry yeah. and sarcastic. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he also says Belinda should leave and never come back. She and Cobb's chat for a while, and Cobb said he has no plans to stay on at the house if Mr. Thorne does die. Belinda once again talks about wanting to rescue Adam and be his friend, and then she leaves and cuts back through the abandoned lot where a car is stalking her and tries to hit her. So she runs back to Adam's house. This just drove me nuts, like... And I was thinking way too much into it because I'm like, you just came from the house. When you have to go cross back through by the bad guy to get to it. See, I was too much thought into this one. But yeah, and, and she's back in that abandoned lot. It's like, why, why would you run back to the house where the creepy people are at? There's so many bad things happening at the house. <laughs> yeah. But that's what makes you keep reading. That's why yeah. the story keeps continuing because she makes bad decisions. Yeah. I feel like the Adams family house is less creepy than this house at this point. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I don't remember sure. snakes in the Adams family house. Mm-hmm. Like there's a walking hand and it is less creepy than this house. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I totally agree. So I feel like the Adams family is actually pretty cool. They're just like these little goth, goth folk just wandering around. I'm like, you know what? You're my I people. Could be friends I with get them. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, chapter nine, Cobbs isn't there to open the door, but eventually Adam does. He's quite cruel to her and tells her he recognized her, then gives more details about the accident. He said Cobbs told him about the shortcut, and he also knows her mom works at the hospital, so she's all alone at night. Stalker. He also reveals he lives two hours away and was picking the thorns up from the airport when the accident occurred. Noel shows up and gets Belinda out of the situation. This was one of my favorite little lines and also harkens back to the Beauty and the Beast thing because she goes around like the back of the house or something or finds like an alternate way into the kitchen and Adam's in there like in the full light. And here is the quote that I love. And now her eyes moved slowly over his legs, his feet, over his cane and his strong, gentle hands gripping it. And he is also draped in a snake, by the way. That's not in this quote. (laughs) Even in his condition, there was something so sensual about him that it was almost magnetic. And I'm like, none of this sounds sensual to me. (laughs) He's like wearing a snake like it's an 80s hairband metal video or something. And ah, I was like, it was so thrown by the end of that sentence. Did not go where I was thinking it would. But again, Beauty and the Beast. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just keep trying to throw that intrigue in there. Just mm-hmm. trying to, to keep that that love interest possibility <laughs> alive. After he says, like, I saw you do this thing. I know and it was you. Knows entirely too much about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another quote in that chapter. Your mom's not home. She's working double shifts at the hospital and she doesn't oh. get off till 7 a.m. The rest of the time, you're all alone in the house. Like, how did how did he know that? Right. Uh, and this is one of my favorite Adam comebacks. Jesus, Adam, how do you live with yourself? I cover the mirrors. <laughs> at least, he, at least he like knows. You know, he he like knows who he is. You know, yeah. that's true. Yeah. He doesn't really hide that at all. I will give credit there. Yeah, I also like the fact that he told her he was stalking her, and she still doesn't feel like she should tell her mom or the police. Come on, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is less than halfway through the book. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, there's more to come. In chapter 10, in fact, um, Noel, Noel drives Belinda home and she's still really shaken up. She asked him why the fence was open and he said it usually isn't. When he drops Belinda off, um, he asks if he can call her and she says yes. She gets inside and Hildy orders pizza. Doorbell rings and it's Noel who wanted to come over again even though he just left. But Hildy notices someone else was out there and it looks an awful lot like Cobbs. Mm. Which is also just weird to me that like Cobbs was just stalking around outside. Even now, like finishing the book, it's just weird to me that like Cobbs was stalking around outside. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. after the fact when you know that Cobbs isn't the killer, mm-hmm. you're just like, it's kind of creepy that this older British man is just following these teenagers around town. Yeah, it's just like throw throw more uh, um, doubt in there, I guess, or throw more possible um, perpetrators in there. Mm-hmm. Rather than like the super obvious mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, chapter 11. They end up convincing Belinda it was probably just a random person on a walk as Cobbs is way too polite to go somewhere and not knock on the door. And then Noel starts talking about rumors he's heard of Adam. It's basically that he's known for making things up and he can be really cruel. He also tells her Adam is convinced someone else caused the car accident, but nobody believes him. Frank ends up coming over, even though Belinda asks Hildy not to invite him. What a boundary violation. Um, But Hildy said she found him lurking around outside and he paid for the pizza. So obviously that's totally fine. Just trample all over those boundaries because he bought you something. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Frank and Hildy start talking about the senior picnic and Noel asks Belinda if he can be her date and then he leaves. Hildy calls Belinda crazy for being worried that Adam knows he wasn't at fault and the accident will be linked to them and Belinda ends up going to her room and getting into bed. Hildy and Frank really are awful friends to her. As she looks out the window, a body appears and whispers, murder, (laughs) then disappears abruptly. (laughs) I wanted more of that in this book. Yeah, you did just a little more creepiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love when like Belinda is really upset and she's going to a room and then Hilda yells, you're really crazy, you know that? But someday yeah. Belinda Swanson, you'll thank me for this. And I'm just like, thank you for what? For allowing you the honor of tutoring me in tests and, you know, making you commit vehicular homicide and cover up Mm -hmm. the crime like what am i thanking you for hildy you're terrible sure yeah all the above (laughs) makes no sense but here we are chapter 12 belinda talks to hildy about what she saw thinking it was frank hildy is frustrated she keeps accusing frank and says maybe it's her friend Cobbs. she ends up going to adam's house and tells him they're keeping the light on Adam tells her he knows about the picnic, then says he and Noel never talk. Odd that he knows about the picnic, but he doesn't talk to Noel. Mm -hmm. He also used to have a girlfriend, but she cheated on him and there was an accident. And because of the accident, nobody wants to be with him anymore. Her anymore. Um, The handkerchief falls out of her pocket with blood all over it. So she runs out of the room and tells Cobb she needs a ride. Unfortunately, he can't give her one because he says the car is indisposed. So she picks up the phone to call a cab and Adam is talking to someone on the other line. 
Um, so this is kind of an old tech alert, um, but oh, I know some true. people still have these. Yeah, like we only had house phones for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so and like also having, like calling a cab instead of an Uber. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, when the nurse says there's no chance of Mr. Thorne's survival and it's just a matter of time, Adam says too much time has passed and the time is now. And again, like Belinda just keeps on coming back. She's a glutton for punishment. That's true. So chapter 13, it's the day of the picnic and Frank asked Belinda how her neurosis is doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Once, they, once again, the way mental health is treated here is disgusting, but also yep. the gaslighting, Frank, yeah. is the worst. Hey, Belinda, how's the neurosis, Frank grinned? Any new ones we should be aware of? And she considers these people her friends. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, and it's I know, really like, like, high sad. school dynamics sometimes, like, you know. I understand more her guilt and like going back to Adam, even with the giant red flags we've talked about, because she feels guilty that this is her fault. And it's like her way of paying penance, but I can't figure out what she feels like she owes these two. Yeah. Same. Afraid. Yeah. So Hildy tells Frank to lay off Belinda. Freaking thank you. Finally. Um, Frank is mad that Belinda and Hildy can't take a joke anymore. And Frank is certain it's because she's working with wealthy folks, or maybe she's just tired of your ignorance, Frank. Did you ever think of that? Mm -hmm. Um, Frank tells her he doesn't want to deal with her anymore, and they can be friends again when she decides to rejoin the human race. Yep. Gaslight, gaslight. Mm -hmm. Yep. He is the worst. Here's Um, one of my favorite Frank quotes. Yes. Okay, I'll do penance, I promise. 50 lashes with Hildy's tongue. Or would you like to volunteer? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, it comes up a couple times that uh, Belinda also had a crush on Frank. And, girl, mm-hmm. you could do better. Yeah. Yeah. Better friends, better choices in boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's better all around. Um, so Noel catches up to Belinda and they chat for a bit. He tells her Adam loves getting under people's skin and people often let him have power over them. So she shouldn't do it. Um, he also explains it's hard to go from poverty to wealth back to poverty, which is why his mom is sometimes so extra. Hildy says she's glad he's there because Belinda needs someone to take care of her. And Noel says she's taking care of herself just fine. Thank you, Aww, Noel. Noel. Yeah. <laughs> so Belinda and Noel enjoy the party, have their first kiss, and go out for food, where Noel said she needs him to take care of her or she needs him to take care of her. I thought Noel was okay. And then I was like, really? She yeah. doesn't know. <laughs> um, so anyway, as they're driving, a car starts ramming them. They're both shaken up and Belinda is convinced it was Adam, but Noel says it couldn't be because he couldn't drive. He doesn't want to take her home to an empty house after the accident. So he says he'll take her to the thorns, but she doesn't want to be around Adam. Noel is getting irritated by her obsession with Adam and says he's not home anyway. He and Cobbs went somewhere that night. Cobbs to ram their car like you do. Mm-hmm. You know who is getting irritated at this point? Me. Because it's like, <laughs> stop going back to that house. Yeah. Stop it. Just stop it. Like he could have just 100%. taken her to her home and stayed with her. Mm-hmm. No, that that's makes fine. Sense. 
because I'm sure mom loves you going over to some boy's house and just staying there. Yeah, it's fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. fine. Totally normal. Mm -hmm. Chapter 14, they made it to the Thorns house and Belinda still freaks out. So Noel says the room he'll put her in for the night locks. So she has nothing to worry about. He ends up coming back to check on her and she ends up telling him the whole story. He starts to believe maybe Adam was trying to kill Mr. and Mrs. Thorne, but why? He also thinks it was Adam that may have seen the whole thing. Maybe he jumped out of the car and dropped his handkerchief, which Belinda picked up. Noel locks the door behind him and Belinda finally falls asleep and she's awoken to pressure on her neck. A snake escaped its cage and found its way into her room. Noel rushes down the hall to help as Cobb looks on, saying the snake has been missing since 11 p.m. <laughs> I thought the snakes would play a larger role. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, they like mm-hmm. snuck back in for this scene, but they were just kind of that odd background, I guess, to make everything just stranger. To paint everything evil. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The cages weren't enough of a warning. The literal cob saying, don't come back here, wasn't enough of a warning. None of this was enough. (laughs) Chapter 15. The next morning, Belinda speaks with Cobbs about Adam. Cobbs reveals there had been another accident involving Adam with his aunt and uncle. Adam was living with his aunt and uncle because his parents wanted him to. And the day of the accident, he told Cobbs if he didn't leave soon, he'd do something desperate. While they both died, Adam was thrown out of the car and sustained a head injury and came back to live with his parents. He began having mood swings and was very cruel, isolating himself from the world. She asked Cobbs if he thought maybe Adam had caused the accident as his aunt said something about Adam and the steering wheel before she died. And he told her she had to remember he was only a child at that point. She went upstairs to grab her stuff and saw Adam rifling through papers. He started laughing maniacally locked the papers back up and hid the key in a book. Belinda said his laugh hardly sounded human. <laughs> I did like that scene. It did crack me up just because I imagine because she says something about how he's just got the papers everywhere and he doesn't even like put them back together. He just kind of like gets them into a pile and stuffs them into the drawer while laughing. It's like <laughs> too funny. Like yeah. the evil dastardly villain. Yes. <laughs> I wanted him to like twirl a mustache or something at the end. Right. It's so exactly. <laughs> and I just imagine it like an echo like fading out like into the next scene. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Chapter 16. On the way home, Belinda tells Noel she wants to break up and he says no, not till they figure <laughs> out what's up. Um what? if someone breaks up with you you don't get to say no (laughs) (laughs) Belinda meets her mom in the driveway who asks how she's doing she says she's feeling better and she calls Hildy and asks her to meet her at the mall Hildy does and Belinda tells her about the night she had and her theory about Adam Hildy calls her crazy again and that it was just a joke and she admits that Frank was the one who left the box on her porch Belinda realizes she cannot trust Hildy, and she and Frank are not her friends. Finally, about time. Only about time. Chapters to get to this point. Um, so she goes to confront Frank with Hildy chasing after her. When she arrives, Frank appears to be dead in the pool. What? <gasps> we yeah. can only hope. 
Yeah. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I was cheering for the killers at this point. Yeah. Save Belinda from herself. Yeah, and this is like a slightly dated reference, like from the mall scene, um, just going to the mall. It reminds mm-hmm. me of a conversation I had recently with a friend of mine who is a teacher now. And she posed the question to her students, where would they travel if they could go back in time? And one said the 1990s. So they could go to the mall with their friends. Wow. And I mean, like, same? <laughs> like, yeah, me too? It's, it's, it's probably true. I, I guess these days, parents probably aren't just dropping the kiddos off anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize that wasn't a thing anymore, which I guess shows how out of touch I am with today's youth. Um, mm-hmm. Like I live right by the Westland Mall, like seriously a mile away. And I know that that mall is basically dead, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. that was such like, I don't know, a mall pandemic going on where they're all dying, apparently. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, when I come from parents, they, they won't just leave their kids at, alone stranded at malls anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had so many memories of the Westland Mall sometimes for skating. Um, like if it was just like a show we were doing, like we did Spice Girls one year. <laughs> so we went to the rave store to get um, some outfits for Ooh. our performance. Well, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Dreams are made at the mall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. one of my um, like teammates. She had like a leopard print dress. It was great. <laughs> so yeah. Sassy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chapter seventeen. Anyway, going back to this memory <laughs> lane. <laughs> nope. It was just um, Frank's jacket. Belinda is convinced <laughs> yet another joke, and Hildy tells her she's not laughing, and it wasn't. She thought Frank was dead too and thinks Belinda might still be jealous Frank chose her. Hildy says she wants to hurt Belinda after Hildy goes on and on about how wonderful Frank is, but Belinda disagrees. That escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hildy says she no longer wants to be Belinda's friend and she and Frank are going to have a wonderful weekend together without her. Belinda says Hildy never really, had never really been her friend anyway and Hildy leaves. Belinda goes home soaking wet and explains she got into a fight with Hildy. Her mom says they'll make up because they've been friends for so long. Boo. She falls asleep. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Please don't make up. <laughs> mom, you have to have witnessed some of this behavior. You, you should be supporting your daughter who finally like stood up for herself. Right? It's like total mean girl dynamics. Um, but I know like her mom works a lot too. So maybe yeah. she just really hasn't seen a lot of it too um bust in her butt you know for the fam so she falls asleep and she has a dream where frank drowned but then the doorbell rings and it's noel belinda relays her dream and noel says he got a call from the hospital stating his stepfather probably wouldn't make it through the night he says his mom had been missing too and belinda wonders if adam had something to do with it belinda asks for a ride to hildy so they can make up on his way to the hospital A car is blocking them in though. It's a man who gives her a package. He has no idea what it is, but someone gave him 10 bucks to do it. (laughs) The envelope has hair in it and it looks like one of Hildy's braids. I got dark real quick with that braid for some reason. I mean, not that the whole book wasn't dark and creepy, but like to get someone's cut off braid, I was like, oh, okay. Up in the ante a little bit here. 
Yeah, I've never been approached by a stranger and asked to deliver a package. And Mm -hmm. if I did, I'm pretty sure that even the 90s when I was like 14, I would have asked for more than $10. (laughs) And I would have just said no, because I grew up in Melvindale and we don't take packages for other people. There could be anything. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to be holding this literal package. So no, no, no. I just the four choices it's just astounding to me (laughs) um so chapter 18 they um go to both Hildy and Frank's house and neither of them are at either place full tech alert um Noel offers to drive Belinda to his house to hang out with Pabs offering the house phone to her so she can call everyone because you didn't just have it you couldn't even look it up on your cell phone like just different numbers and stuff back then like you had to literally go to a house and hope you had those numbers memorized and mm-hmm. order to like call anyone. Um, she tells him that Hildy wanted to hurt her and Noel says a friend wouldn't say that. Yep. Um, so this is kind of sort of an old tech alert too. Um, but like, I think people might still do it except they do a text now. Um, when they get to the house, a note was left that said the situation was critical and they went to the hospital. This crew didn't text because we didn't have texting back then, but especially like a message that important. How did we live? I know. It's true. It's so weird to think about. Like our our brains an old text, uh, old tech alert, because I don't know any phone numbers anymore, but I still remember the ones I knew when I was a teenager because you had to remember Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, even Chromine's phone number, anytime I have to like type it on a document, I have to look it up to make sure. I have to go to the website. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> um, Adam calls from the hospital to let him know um, the stitch is bad, and Noel takes off, ensuring Belinda will be okay, and tells her not to let anyone in, which is good advice for anyone. Belinda mm-hmm. thinks about how sad it must be to be dying and loved by no one a son and a stepson who barely speak, and a wife who is only after his money. Belinda used the house phone to try to call Hildy and Sasha begins to growl. She goes to the study and finds the papers because of course she does. It's the last will and testament for Mr. Thorne. If both parents are dead, both boys get all the money and Adam is there. Noel also comes back in the house and she tells him Adam was the one who caused the accident. Adam repeats everything and walks in without a limp. And Noel said it was supposed to be done by now. Noel tells Adam to get her in the car so they can have a reunion. Dun, dun, dun. They were both bad. Um, I kept waiting for one or the other. I, I will be honest, I didn't see it coming that they were both going to be in on it. Yeah, I did actually really like that twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. And it makes sense too, like when you go back to the beginning of the story, like oh yeah, how Adam like knew everything, and he's like, but Noel and I don't talk. It's like clearly you guys talk. Yeah, yeah. it was a little weird though. Like they were playing good cop, bad cop, but yep. it seemed like their plan the whole time was to kill them because witnesses to yeah. what I'm sure will explore the actual crime that these two were plotting. Oh, but like, yeah. why were they trying? Why was Adam trying so hard to push her away? Yeah, I don't know. It yeah. just like doesn't make sense when you're like, he should have been 
they they should have been good cop good copping her and like doubling mm-hmm. their odds of reeling her in instead of you know the good cop bad cop routine they were going with but anyway mm-hmm. yeah I especially agree. with him because it was like all right he was like just bad and evasive the whole time like I kept waiting for like him for Adam to be like the one that ends up saving her in the end because it was yeah. so obvious that he was so like bad this whole time yeah. because I was like I couldn't possibly be it and like Noel to me was like I was on to him the yeah. whole time I was like he's being too nice he knows all these random things like he's got to be the twist in the end that he's the one that's doing all the bad stuff so yeah he was like I thought going to be the Eddie Haskell, like the, mm-hmm. the guy that everybody thinks is good, but he's really like the bad guy. Oh, yeah. And there's no way yeah. this cartoonishly evil person is actually exactly. that evil because that's crazy. Mm-hmm. He's just misunderstood, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was going to be the tragic hero of this novel. Mm-hmm. No, he was not. Mm-hmm. And in chapter 19, yes, we do explore the crime. Mm-hmm. So it turns out Noel was actually the one on the hill. They planned the whole thing, but Hildy, Frank, and Belinda messed everything up. Adam says he missed the spot he was supposed to jump from, which is why he got injured. Belinda finds out they're driving her to Frank and Hildy. Noel said none of this was Belinda's fault, and she tried to help that Hildy was driving, and Adam said to shut up. <laughs> Adam said it was easy to find her because of the bumper sticker on her car and her friends shouting her name which I've also heard this, like not to put like bumper stickers or anything like that on your car because it's just like, it's too much identifying information. Yeah, so I I found that really interesting that that was. um, Yeah, keep the stalkers away. Don't put bumper stickers on your car. Mm -hmm. Or put bumper stickers for people you don't like on your car. Ooh, there you go. (laughs) Mislead them. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) They end up taking her to suicide drop. Frank is slumped over in his car seat, and Hildy said, Noel said, something happened to Belinda, so she got in the car and wound up in his trunk. (laughs) There's also now a gun. Um, Noel says again he didn't want to hurt Belinda, but Adam said they had to because she knows too much. He's going to push the car off suicide drop. Gloria is also down there dead already. Gloria is Mrs. Thorne. Um... Adam says he's the one that does the killing and Noel is better at planning. O-M-G, what? (laughs) Um, So Adam tells Noel he's also staying in the car, points the gun at his face and says, April Fool, joke's on you. Um, Terrifying. Noel lifts the car doors open, which knocks the gun out of Adam's hand and knocks Adam off balance. The car starts sliding and then they try to get out and Belinda feels arms around her and suddenly the police are there with Cobbs. Cobbs said he thought something was afoot. So he came home, saw them pulling Belinda into the car and cops followed the, the, um, the car and called the police on the old tech alert our yes. telephone that was like my yeah. favorite old tech alert. It was so glaring because it was it's clearly true. supposed to be like, Oh my God, a car phone? Those exist? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because they're so wealthy, they had yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like the way it's written is clearly because it's, I rang the police straight away, period, on the mm-hmm. car telephone. Yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah, I put in my note, only rich people had those. Smiley emoticon. <laughs> 
<laughs> I did take exception to one other line in this chapter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When, uh, Adam is talking about, and that stupid librarian even showed Noel your picture like, hey, yeah. poor librarian alone. <laughs> yeah. We all just gave her the yearbook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> she saw Noel in handcuffs and tried to cry out to him, but they put him in the car and drove away. And then chapter 20 ties everything up. Hildy says Belinda can have Frank. He's quiet now and not fun. And Hildy says, <laughs> That's why. She's sorry for being such a bad friend. She said she was acting that way because she was scared of losing Frank. Hildy asked Belinda what happened to Adam and Noel. And she says, Cobbs told her they're being evaluated for a mental competency. And if they're ruled to be able to stand trial, they'll be tried as adults. Cobb stops over to check on Belinda and ends up telling Belinda's mom he'd like to help her around the house. And she says she can't pay a salary. Cobb says Mr. Thorne provided him with an abundance of money in his will. And because he now has so much free time, he wants to put his time to good use. He also says Belinda needs a male influence to keep her out of trouble <laughs> and help her find better men. <laughs> Maybe not that wrong. Part. Maybe help her find better men. Yeah. I can totally <laughs> say with that. She does need uh, some uh, guidance there. He's not yeah. wrong, but there is something kind of creepy about their relationship. I didn't highlight it, but I remember I there being weird yeah. things before. And then in this chapter, she says, I really love you, Cobbs. And then she felt his hand gently upon her hair. And I, yeah. you, miss, is his response. And I'm just like, there was something earlier in the book that I forgot to highlight that he says something similar or yeah. she says something. And I'm just like, this is a really weird, like quasi problematic relationship too. Yeah, are you no like a child is... predator? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm rich now, but I still would like to clean your house and live with your daughter. Mm -hmm. you no, know, it's like, come on, Cobb, retire, go move to a beach. Don't yeah. keep doing you and house him? stuff. Yeah. The most Some people just love thing. to clean, I guess, and yes. yeah. make tea. You know, if, if that's his passion, why are we judging him? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cleanliness is my passion. Mm -hmm. I love cleaning. Yep. Hey, <laughs> find what you love and do it. Yeah. yeah. As long <laughs> as I really. can carry around a bloody cleaver, I guess I'll be happy. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yeah, there's just like so many other things I'd rather do than clean. Like just so many things. Mm -hmm. but it's fine it's not my choice to make it's not my burden to bear <laughs> I also like how he showed up and is like no offense but your house is filthy yeah <laughs> I'll do some pro bono you know yeah butlering. good thing I'm here <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Mr. Poppins yes yes yeah yeah, yeah. totally I didn't even make that connection but a total kind of Mary Poppins vibe and I was also excited because like Sasha gets to live with them now too. So, like, yes, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was how the book ended. And I, I, th I think it ended with the like, I love you and I love you too. And it's like, this is so weird. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> so <true>. weird. <laughs> talk about their criminal mastermind and how like they had one play in the playbook and they were just yeah. like repeating, repeatedly pushing cars off of like, different cliffs to kill everyone yeah and how there is absolutely no way they wouldn't have gotten caught right like that's the third car accident this adam guy would have been involved in where everyone else died but him i'm yeah. pretty sure the worst cops in the world would have figured this out in about two minutes 
Yeah, no one's even a little suspicious. Like nothing. Yeah. Like his aunt and uncle die. His parents both, well, he was in a car accident where his dad died and his mom miraculously lived. And then this third one, and I'm just like, oh, this is like a horrible dateline. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A horrible dateline. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So bad it's probably true. Mm -hmm. So bad. And this is like dating me as well, but it it reminded me of like Wally Coyote and the Roadrunner. Setting up these things. Like that's what it reminded me of. Over that cliff. (laughs) Yep. It's fine. Yeah, it's not even a Scooby-Doo where they would have gotten away with it if not for these meddling kids. Like, there's no way these kids were getting this money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely not. And I love, uh, I don't know that we talked about it, but when she's looking at the paperwork, it's a draft of the will. It's not even like the final version. So it would have been great if the will was even changed. Like, (laughs) they were committing this crime and it wasn't the real version of the will and they wouldn't have gotten the money anyway. Mm -hmm. That would have been a good ending. Yeah, yeah, that would have been so good. All right, so nostalgia playlist. I had a couple for this one this time. I had both um, movies and um, music this time. So I'll do uh, music first. Obviously, somebody's watching me, Rockwell and Michael Jackson. Every breath you take, the police, because stalker. And then Disturbia by Rihanna kept popping into my head as well at various times. And then for movies, we kind of mentioned this already too, but um, the Topsy Turvy song from Hunchback of Notre Dame, whenever King of Fools (laughs) was mentioned. And I know what you did last summer. Yeah. And of course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did you guys have any songs or anything that popped out at you? I think of a good song. No, I mean the uh no I know what you did last summer was like the first one that mm-hmm. came to me within like the first couple of chapters of all I could think of um was how similar, but it would have been, I guess, the same time period anyway, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, and then I think I said this at the beginning too about just it reminded me of kind of Riverdale, like that TV yeah. show, and just like such traditional 90s horror movies like Scream, all of those ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are in the final thought section. I knew we were going to talk forever about this book. <laughs> We've been talking for so long. <laughs> because it's so like I, I was telling Eric this the other day, like I kept looking at this book and I kept putting it off. So I'm like, oh, this one's going to be so bad. Like yeah. I kept putting it off, putting it off. And then when I started reading it, I was like, I can't put this down. How is it that I like this book so much? There's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's still terribly awful, but you, you just, you can't help but keep going. It yeah, just worms its way into way. your heart by being so terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I wrote in the like note section, like, is it good that you reread this or read it for the first time? I, I didn't hate it. <laughs> I didn't hate it and it was the same thing where I kept putting it off and then I I had to keep stopping myself to take notes because like things were so happening so rapidly like in it but I was like oh where's this going this is such a train wreck <laughs> and you know the funny thing yeah. is that that it goes exactly where you think it's going to go with maybe mm-hmm. the Noel twist of him mm-hmm. being in on it yeah but you know like in the first couple pages exactly who the killer is which i think is mm-hmm. almost unique that there was no twist at the end 
other than adding Noel is. So you're just mm-hmm. reading this for like 160 pages or whatever, knowing exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yep, 160 pages of our lives. We won't get back, but yeah, excuse me, 200. I, I don't want them back. Some. I want to keep them. But, yeah, exactly, right? exactly. I'll take them. I'll take them. You know, the world's a hot mess. I will be reading more <laughs> of the Point Horror series. It's true. So here it's is the true. good news. Yeah. So I ended in- up having oh, to go get- ahead, Eric. Oh, no, sorry. No, I ended up having to get the Kindle uh, mm-hmm. because my hold just didn't come in in time. Yeah. Um, but as I was buying it for like, you know, four or five dollars or whatever, I noticed that there was the option to buy, I think, 14 point. I keep wanting to say point fear books, point horror books. Yeah. For like $90. And I might do it. Yeah, I might as well. I'm thinking about like searching around eBay to see if I can like find a a box set of like just different things. So I I feel like nostalgia, like 90s nostalgia in particular is so popular right now. And I think it is again, because like everything is a hot mess. So it might be way more expensive like than it would have been at any other time. Like, oh yeah, just take these books for five bucks. Like it's fine. Yeah, might be a bidding war. I mean, (laughs) a good uh, garage sale find. Like I know when we've done Mm -hmm. garage sales before um, back in the day, I remember I gave away way too many Fear Street books, sadly. Those Fear Street and Goosebump books, I recall giving those away at uh, some sales in the past. Regret it now. Yeah. Yeah. But like Same. 14 ebooks for like 90 or $95 or whatever it is, is like a pretty good deal. That's a really good deal. Yeah. Well, I might be treating myself. <laughs> That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so funny you mentioned garage sales because like a lot of my books as a kiddo, I got from garage sales and it was usually Mm -hmm. like a lot of the random 80s and 90s um, titles. I get them for like 10 cents or 25 cents each. Um, We had a teacher that lived right across the street and she would just give me the books because she loved that I liked to read. So it was, it was really awesome. So sometimes I'd just get like a box of free books. Sometimes I'd get like my arms full for a buck. It was great. (laughs) Yeah. We had a used bookstore around the corner from my house Mm -hmm. that was like, probably a mile or two bike ride and I would go there with like two dollars and get 10 Christopher Pike books it was so good those were the days so I think we kind of already answered this question but do you think other 80s or 90s kids should check this series out yes I think they do no I mean I definitely want to go read the first and second ones in this series Mm -hmm. um because yeah it's like the original ones. Yeah, especially now that I know it was written by R.L. Stein, which I just mm-hmm. kind of assumed that this was uh, Richie Tangersley Cusick's like version of that. I kind of assumed she had written Agreed. all of it like R.L. Stein did the Fear Streets. Yeah. And Christopher Pike had the Pike-a-verse. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this series probably really did kick off kind of this genre i mean i'm sure it was around in some form beforehand but mm-hmm. I feel like these are some of the original ones good yeah. old late 80s mm-hmm. love it <laughs> um so what about modern kids what do you think would you recommend it to them oh probably not i don't know <laughs> about that oh i don't know although i i kind of see some of like our teens really just like 
loving how terrible it is. Like, I feel like they mm-hmm. would enjoy it and just laugh at it the whole time. Like I, from that standpoint, I wouldn't be worried about any of them taking any of the stuff seriously. I wouldn't be worried about it, you know, negatively impacting them. I think they would just find it hilarious. My yeah. worry would be that it would negatively impact me by making me feel old <laughs> and dumb because they would just like rip on it as being exactly. stupid. Oh, they would. Yeah. Oh, they would. And mm-hmm. they would not be wrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's okay. I wear it like a badge of honor, man. The 90s, what a time to be alive. I say it like all the time, but it's true. <laughs> um, this is one of those times where I'm blown away by what I read as a sprightly, spunky little eight or nine-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And like you guys were saying, I do think 12 to 15-year-olds would like it, particularly um, to make fun of it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily like put it in their hands um, just due to the problematic elements like Mm -hmm. the toxic masculinity, the negative mental health talk, like that kind of stuff. But if they sought it out (laughs) and they wanted to talk to me about it, I would have so many thoughts to share with them. (laughs) It like it is shocking the things that we were allowed to read and our parents thought were like totally safe and benign Mm -hmm. when now I'm like, And I'm not even necessarily this way, but I'm like, this probably needs a disclaimer if you're, you know, even a a young teen reading this, like, yeah, this is really problematic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Um, Take life lessons from Belinda. Yeah, I would would say. Mm -hmm. And I I think it was R.L. Stein, too, who said, like, I don't want anyone to derive meaning from these stories. They're mm-hmm. just stories. Like there's no life lessons. And it's like, good, good. I'm glad we're going into it with this knowledge. Like, <laughs> please don't do what these characters are doing. Run away if you're in these circumstances. Yeah. All right. And read a legs. I feel like for this one, it's pretty obvious because it's part of a series. So Christopher Pike, R.L. Stein, Diane mm-hmm. Ho, Caroline B. Cooney our fabulous relegs um, for this book. All right, so the rating scale, what did you think of the characters? Scale of one to five. Ugh, two. Yeah, yeah, probably they two. were. That's generous, but two. Yeah. They were so tropey. Like yeah. the, as we read more of the this style of books, like I think they, uh, Frank and Hildy are exactly those annoying characters, the two characters who kept playing pranks in uh, New Year's Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Belinda is exactly like the main character whose name I can't remember from either Remember Me or New Year's Party, where she's just like a passenger and there's mm-hmm. nothing you know unique about any of these people. Yeah. And they're annoying, most of them. Yeah. I gave it a two as well, and that does not apply to Sasha or Cobbs, but everybody else. <laughs> Sasha and Cobbs Sasha's five. a five. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Sasha <laughs> yeah. and Cobbs are fives, even though yeah. I didn't trust Cobbs for like half of the book. Yeah, yeah, he was an interesting fella. He was very interesting. Oh, no, actually, I, I have to downgrade him because of the creepy. Um, yeah, the creepy possible undertones. Yeah. Makes so I retract that statement. Intriguing and odd. I just yeah. kept picturing someone like Cobbs was like an actual British version of Jeffrey from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> yes. Good times. Um, plot scale of one to five. Mm. 
Yeah. Not a one. I can't decide. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably give it a two. Mm-hmm. But I do yeah. like again, I think it was unique that you're sitting there reading the whole time saying, like, there's no way. It's too <laughs> obvious what's going on. And then mm-hmm. in a way, that's a twist because the obvious thing was the thing that was happening. So I did appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd go with two or three because it, it's another one where like a lot of things are going on in the plot. Yeah. And I think like for reluctant readers, particularly when you think back to the 90s, um, I think they would have liked being like, ha ha, I know what's happening, like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. True. And you know, this could have been one of those like original stories. Yes, we've reread it in Mm -hmm. a million other books since then, but maybe I'll give it credit for for possibly being more of an original plot. Yeah, maybe back then it wasn't formulaic. Maybe this was like groundbreaking (laughs) stuff. Yeah. Like and the twist like, was that there was no twist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny too, because like Marta and I were chatting about this briefly yesterday too. And I was like, you know, I wonder if this is why um, we moved on from like um, Earl Stein and Christopher Pike into like Stephen King and um, like Anne Rice so quickly when we were kids mm-hmm. is because like all of the books were exactly the same. So like the first couple you read, it was like, this is awesome. I love it. And then it's like, didn't I just, didn't I just read this? Yep. <laughs> Spoiler alert, you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, dated tech and pop culture references. Like as far as scoring that, I would yeah. say you know what's funny is that how many I missed actually I literally wrote down complete lack of tech like it wasn't even mentioned a whole lot like they didn't Mm -hmm. spend any time on computers I don't think a computer was mentioned once but then when we talk about all the phones and all the pay phones they had to use and the tape deck too Uh um yeah it's more it's more up there in the middle I'd say maybe like a three then there's yeah it wasn't overwhelming but it was there like a three I was actually surprised now that you mentioned that that there wasn't like really a mention of any music or movies that I remember or that no. I picked up on at all mm-hmm. yeah yeah which would have made it timeless except yeah, for those like, like <laughs> that that tape deck and that car phone yeah those out of there timeless yeah. indeed it's a tale older than time itself yeah. <laughs> Tale as old as our time. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well said. Um, yeah, I gave it like a two, three-ish as well. I couldn't settle on like a good score. And then of course, like our most important rating, the nostalgia scale on a scale of one to five. I'd say four-ish. It was up there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd give it like a solid three to four. Yeah, I went with three with this one. I think it was just because we just read um, New Year's mm-hmm. Party. True. Oh, so, um, true. so yeah, but it did like just the car phone and the stuff. Like I, I felt like I was a kid in the '90s again reading this. So maybe mm-hmm. I actually would upgrade it a little bit um, to a four as well, just because I did. I I felt myself as like a little kid kind of reading right. this. Mm-hmm. And that overall rating, like what would you put on Goodreads if you were to put this on Goodreads? Uh, 
you know, I'd, I'd probably do a straight up three, mm -hmm. um, right down the middle because it, <laughs> because I have loved talking about this with you guys so much though. And because it did make so many like points that were just like infuriating and made me think so much about a variety of random tropey things and whatnot. I would almost give it more because I'm still thinking about it and uh -huh. laughing about it and enjoying my time with this book. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll do solid three. Yeah, I feel like this is the classic case of the sum being more than the total of its parts, because <laughs> yes. I gave it so many low ratings, but I really did love this book. Yeah. And I would give it, I wish Goodreads had like a half star, because I don't want to give it a five, but I would yeah. definitely give it like a four. And if there was a half star, I'd give it a 4.5, because it is not, <laughs> it's not a good book, but I just enjoyed the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think just in the times we're living in too, it's just, it's something like that we really need. Like I, I'm also rewatching The Office again. Like I'm just mm -hmm. going to those like comfort shows, comfort books, just comfort everything right now. So yeah, I rated it a solid three as well, but I did think about rating it like a four too, because you know, there are all these problems and just like so many things that are bad about this book. Yeah. I really liked it. I really did. Like I had a good time. Yes. Yeah. All right. So do you guys have any final thoughts before we, we log off from the longest podcast ever? Yeah. <laughs> I think I've given too many thoughts already. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Give, give these ones a try though, especially if you read them as a, when you were in the nineties, it's worth yeah. a try again. We probably talked longer about this book than it would take a lot of people to just read it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. You would finish it by now. Yeah. <laughs> You're done. Just do it. It's fine. <laughs> All right. So that wraps up this month's podcast. Thanks so much for joining everybody. Bye. Bye.